I encourage you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Once again, uh, we are looking at Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. It is um, a, a paragraph that is, is just thick with important things for us as God's people. It's not necessarily arranged all that clearly, so we are taking several sermons to unpack this paragraph so that we are able to, to give our attention to, to all of the richness that is here for us as God's people. Last week, we began to look at this paragraph by looking at this paradigm that Paul is, is uh, giving us about putting off the old and putting on the new. And last week, we focused specifically on putting off the old and putting off the new with regards to our words, the way that we use our tongues, the way that we use our mouths. How'd you do this past week after that sermon? I was much more aware of some things this past week myself, so... Um, we continue to dig into this, and today we're going to look at this paragraph from the perspective of putting off the old and putting on the new with regards to our hearts. Uh, a lot of the sermon is going to focus on this emotion of, of anger, uh, but everything that is going to be said here would, uh, can be equally applied to, to all of the emotions themselves, but we're not just looking at emotions in and of themselves. Uh, because when the scripture talks about the heart, it is not just simply talking about emotions. It's talking about the core of who we are and the capacities that we have as those created in the image of God and renewed in the image of Christ. Capacities with regards to our thinking, to our feelings, but also to our volition or to our wills or, or to, to what we do. Uh, so let's give our reverent attention to God's word this morning once again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how easy it is for us to set ourselves up as the judge of what is right and what is wrong, not only with regards to our own lives, but especially with others. 
And so help us today as we sink our teeth into your word once again, that, that you would, would provide us a, a mouthful of what we need as we feast upon the Christ who comes to us in these words. Help us to be honest with ourselves and help us, Lord, to entrust ourselves to you in new and fresh ways, even and especially with regards to the feelings that are at work within us that often manifest themselves in sinful in egregious ways. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Last week, as we talked about the, the words that come out of our mouths, we, we spoke about these words with regards to, we have two, two uses of our mouths. One use reflects the, the use of God himself where he speaks and where he uses his truth to provide light and life. But sometimes what we do is we use our mouths in a way that reflects who we used to be in Adam. We use words to reflect uh, who we used to be when we were uh, slaves to sin. Slaves to the flesh, but also, as Paul said in Ephesians 2, slave to the principalities and the powers of the air. We were once slaves of dark grace that even provides us the enablement and empowerment that we need to use our mouths in a way that reflects the Christ who dwells in us. Where the Christ who dwells in us through his spirit is using our mouths as his instruments to spread his light and his life. Well, as Jesus tells us from the gospels, these words that come out of our mouths are windows into our souls. The words that come out of our mouths, the, the intentions of those words, the, the tones that, are, that often accompany our words, these are windows into what is going on in our own hearts. Stop and reflect upon that for a moment. Every word you say is an is a expression of either who you are in Christ or who you used to be in Adam. There is no neutral ground. And there doesn't mean, you know, well, if as long as I'm saying the truth, it doesn't matter how I say it. No, Paul has told us, say things in a way that provide grace, that provide encouragement, that build others up. And so this requires us not simply to think about what we say, how we say it, or why we are saying it. What Paul is wanting us to do is to go deep within our own hearts so that we can understand ourselves through what we speak. 
One of the emotions that Paul calls our attention to here is one that this church was experiencing. Like many of the churches that Paul uh, wrote to in the New Testament, these churches were made up of a combination of, of people who had been Jewish in their background and had come to faith in Jesus Christ and those who were Gentiles in their background and who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you have this really wide, uh, uh, vast difference of life perspectives and experiences coming together, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, to be one in Christ. That the peacemaking Christ who came and took our sin upon himself, who took our hostility against him onto himself, he took this stuff upon himself in order to squash the hostility that exists in the hearts of God's people and get experienced in the fellowship of God's people. Put it another way, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that we are to endeavor in the humility, in the grace, in the kindness of Christ to express our oneness in Christ, which is a participation in the oneness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we are to live in a manner that reflects this oneness. We are to guard it. We are to protect it. We are to keep it. And one of the ways that it so often gets broken is through words, and those words are spoken because there is anger in the heart. What is interesting about this passage, though, is if you notice here, Paul says uh, very clearly that there is a time to be angry. Notice what he says there. He doesn't say, all right, so when you're tempted with anger, don't be angry. When you're tempted with anger, don't give in to it. When you're tempted to anger, suppress it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell us to suppress the anger. He doesn't tell us to, to, to uh, not experience the anger. He doesn't tell us to act like robots who don't have these things going on in our hearts. He says there is a time to be angry. That can be such a freeing truth for God's people. Because there are things that go on in your own heart that not only can you be angry about, you should. There are times when there are things going on in your own heart that the only appropriate, righteous, just response is to be angry. There are things that go on in this world because sin is still present in which the only appropriate response is anger. Anger is not a negative emotion that is something to be avoided that can only result in bad things. When evil happens within you, when evil happens in the world, when evil happens to you, when you commit evil against someone else, that is something to become 
angry about. There is a time in which anger is appropriate. There is a time in which anger is the only right response. But he also says that the time to stay angry is short. So there is a time to be angry, but he he tells us, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean if you get angry at 7 o'clock in the morning that you get to hold on to that until midnight. Okay? It doesn't mean if you get, get angry in the morning that you get to hold on to that till the sun goes down, depending on how you're going to measure the days. Right? It doesn't mean when I'm mad at my wife or when my wife is mad at me that Paul says, I get to be angry and I get to hold on to that until we go to bed. And as long as we make up before we go to bed, everything's cool. No, what he is saying is there is a time to be angry because there, we are not called as God's people to ignore our emotions. But instead, we are to experience and manage those emotions well. Which means even when anger is justified, anger is not something that is to be held in the heart. Even when it is right, even when it's the the correct response to something, Paul's not saying, so get angry and hold on to that anger until whatever made you angry, until it gets fixed. What he's meaning, what he is saying is there's a time to get angry, but there is only a brief time to stay angry. And your anger, your anger is not simply coming up out of you because of something that came into you, Jesus says. It's because something outside of you is giving rise to what is already there. There's a time to get angry, but that time is to stay short. Because what happens when when we have anger in our hearts, whether or not the anger is justified? If it's justified anger, what happens to you if you hold on to that anger? If the anger that's in you is not justified, what happens to you when you hold on to that anger? Well, notice toward the end of the paragraph, it results in bitterness. It results in, in, in rage. It, it results in wrath. It results in clamor. It results in slander. It results with malice. Because what Jesus, what, what Jesus and Paul have said about words is also true about emotions. What is in you will come out, and when it comes out, it will become embodied. Anger that is allowed to just hang out in your heart is going to negatively affect you and the people around you, even if it's justified anger. Are you going to be sinned against in this life? Yes. Is it appropriate to feel anger when that happens? 
Yes. But you are to put off the old and put on the new. What this means is that as we experience that anger, what we want to do is we want to be honest about what we are experiencing. You see, if we just try to ignore it or suppress it, guess what we just have done? We've created a space for that anger to exist and not be dealt with because it's not even being identified. And I'll tell you this, I think one of the reasons that most of us do this, and as someone who does a lot of counseling, this is what I've seen, we, we have bought into a false notion that to be Christians and to be loving means that we should never be angry. And that's just not biblical. It's not true. And if we are not able to rightly identify and own the anger that we are experiencing, guess what happens? We just let it sit. And you know what it does? It festers. And it corrupts, and it degrades, and it becomes the lens through which you experience everything else in your life. Anger, even when it's appropriate, it's not to be given a safe space to become comfortable. Bitterness, rage, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. These are all different Greek words that are, that are used to express intense feeling that gets manifest in attitudes and actions. Bitterness is animosity. It is a harshness. Uh, bitterness is spite or resentment. It's an affect of the heart that, that will become embodied in an attitude in which you just become a really negative, hateful person. Animosity, being harsh with people, resenting people, resenting situations. Anger here is an, an intense expression of the inner self, an emotional state of intense displeasure often translated as rage. Wrath here, once again, an emotional, strong displeasure, a strong indignation, usually with a focus of desire and pursuit of retribution. All right, let me clear that one up. You get mad, you judge the situation, and now you are going to take care of it. Clamor. Angry shouting, intense quarreling, slander, speech that denigrates or defames, any kind of speech that is defamatory or abusive, speaking against, insulting, reviling, disrespecting. And notice here, with all malice, this is the most interesting one of the list to me, at least this week. Next week, it'll be another one on the list. It all depends on what's going on in my own heart. But this last one where it says, and with all malice, the, the word in the Greek there is just simply evil. 
It's just a generic term for wickedness. Evil, wickedness, a mean-spirited, vicious attitude or disposition that comes from cultivating a safe space for anger. Hateful feelings, ill will, malignity. That's a fun one. It's a word that really captures what it means. You don't even have to know what it means. Malignity. When you allow anger, whether it's unjustified anger or justified anger, to be cultivated within your heart, this is where you end up. And this is why you say the things that you say. This is why you say the things you say the way that you say them. You know, the intonations, the the aggression sometimes, or the passive aggression. This is all coming out of what's in the heart. And so once again, the problem here is not in the experience of anger. But it's allowing anger to stay too long. It's allowing anger to be present without identifying what it is. It's allowing anger to be present and then trying to just simply ignore it. When you are clearly angry and you're told that you're angry and you say, I'm not angry. I am a professional at this. Ask my family. Especially if I haven't eaten. God doesn't cause to ignore or to, or to suppress because anger in and of itself is not sin. Anger is a wonderful emotion that God has given to us in which we can at times mirror what he values and what he says is true and right and beautiful. And when he says something is true and right and beautiful and it gets transgressed, when it gets broken, when it is suppressed, when it is put down, when it is when it when people argue for what is bad, calling it good and taking what is good and arguing for it as if it's bad. God himself, we are told throughout the scripture experiences an anger towards that. It is a righteous anger. It is an anger that is appropriate because he is righteous, because he is holy, because he is the very embodiment of truth, goodness, and beauty. But even though we are still sinful, even though we still have sin present within us because of our new hearts in Jesus Christ, beloved, what this allows for you to do in the sanctification of putting on Christ is there are times where you can experience anger in a way that reflects God's experience of anger. But because we are not God, we can't let it sit there because of where it takes us. And so we are to to actively cultivate uh, an, an honest experience of anger so that we can allow that anger to serve its function in our lives. 
And our anger or any emotion that you experience, it is nothing less than the check engine light on your dashboard. Now, many, everybody has one. Some of you may not know where it is or haven't looked at it. But you have this little light on your dashboard that when there is something off with the car, what will happen is that little light comes on. It says, check engine. And what you have to do is you take it to a mechanic or, or nowadays you can take it to an auto parts store and they put this little computer and they plug it in and the computer reads the code and it says, oh, here's what's wrong. Your emotions have a similar function so that when you are experiencing something, whether it's anger or joy, whatever the emotion is, but especially with anger, according to Paul here in this paragraph, when that anger is is there, the check engine light has gone off. And what that means is this. God is trying to teach you something about you before he's trying to teach you something about the other person or the situation. Your anger is an opportunity for you to examine your heart. What's going on under the hood of my life when I experience anger? What is it that I love and I cherish that has come under threat what is it about something that I love or that I cherish that is, that is being denigrated or that is being torn down or that is being disrespected? What is it about something that I love and I cherish that is being threatened or, or even being killed in the moment that, that I feel like I have to re- respond with, with this indignation as to what is happening? Because if you're going to go through the process of, 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 of understanding your anger to see whether or not it is a righteous anger or a justified anger, you start with you. You don't start with the presumed cause because the anger is coming out of you. Beloved, you and I, as we've talked about several sermons ago, we were created to be desirers. We were created created to be worshipers. We can't stop wanting. And that's a good thing because God designed us to want, and he designed us to want him. What sin did was broke that. It twisted it. It corrupted it. And so what happens is our desires don't go away. Our capacity to want doesn't go away. It gets corrupted. It gets put on the wrong things. It can be put on the right things, but for the wrong reasons. All right, you see what's going on here? And the result is, as Calvin said, we still have hearts in which we are constantly making idols of everything. And what is so amazing about this emotion these emotions God has given us but especially anger is when you are experiencing anger and when you take the time to take the anger to God don't suppress it and don't linger in it you take it to God and God will show you either something that you legitimately love that is under threat that he's taking care of Or he will show you something that you love that you should not be loving. 
and you need to let go. It's not just good things that we love that can come under threat. It's our idols that so often come under threat, and we will defend those idols. There's a time to be angry, but do not let the anger linger. Honestly experience what you're experiencing so that you don't suppress or ignore and you don't cultivate or baby it. Take it to God and you say, God, I am so angry right now. And then you let God, through his word, through prayer, through meeting with a brother or sister in Christ, through meeting with an elder, through meeting with the pastor, you let God speak into your life to reveal where that anger is coming from so that you can manage that anger as one who is new in Jesus Christ. Because the last thing that you want, beloved, is to have a justified anger that you hold on to. It's okay for me to feel this because I was clearly sinned against. No. You take that anger to the Lord. Let him reveal to you what's going on in your heart so that if there is something for you to repent of, guess what you get to do? you get to remove the log from your own eye. And if there is something where you've been sinned against, you get to uh, allow the Lord to, to cultivate your heart into a position that you can respond to that without being angry. Because the peacemaking Christ who came and, and who, who accomplished this eternal purpose of removing the hostility between God and sinners and removing the hostility between sinners and sinners has called you and me not only to participate in the newness of that life, he has called us to participate in the newness of that ministry. The peacemaking Christ is making disciples who are peacemakers with him. And so Paul says here, when you have this, don't create a spot for the devil. He says literally, don't, don't create a space for the devil. Now it's interesting if uh, in the, uh, Erasmus, a 16th century scholar, tried to interpret this as don't create room for a slanderer. And that is an appropriate uh, way of understanding the word, but every slanderer, as God tells us throughout the scripture, is a slanderer who in their slandering is participating in the way, modes of communication of the slanderer himself. The one who in Genesis 3 was able to come and, and to sow seeds of doubt and mistrust the one who is described to us as being the great liar, the one who is described to us as being the great accuser. Do you notice a pattern there? 
It is so easy through anger to create a space in which we actually open ourselves up to rather than participating in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, we participate in, in, the, in the death and in the slander and in the accusations of the kingdom of darkness. To put it simply, you can through the emotion of anger, when it goes undealt with, you can actually participate against Christ, even when the anger is justified. Making a space for the devil is another way of saying, don't put yourself in the place of God and decide that your judgment is the only way to understand what has happened. It means don't make yourself don't don't put yourself in the place of God and then act in the place of God with your judgment. Because when you do that, beloved, the words that you will say within your own soul will cultivate the anger. It won't help you move through the anger. When you do that, your prayers will be formed and shaped by the anger. When you do that, your attitudes will be formed and shaped by the anger. When you do that, your intentions and what you do will be formed and shaped by the anger that you're not dealing with that has become bitterness and all those other things that flow from it. Don't put yourself in the place of God and don't act in that place as the judge. And don't open up a space to the devil by weakening the purposes and accomplishments of the cross of Jesus Christ. What, what, what did the cross accomplish? Someone righteous was gravely sinned against by sinners. And for the joy set before him, he went to the cross to fulfill all righteousness in order to grant healing, forgiveness, righteousness, and new life to those who not only didn't deserve it, but who deserved the opposite. Beloved, the only hope you and I have in our own anger the only hope that you and I have when we commit sin against others or when sin is committed against us, the only hope that we have is the sin that has taken place has been, uh, has been thoroughly taken care of in Jesus Christ. Where the sin is not ignored, it is not dismissed. It is experienced, it is embraced, and it is overcome. And beloved, what the cross means is this isn't just your hope as an individual as you stand before God. This is the hope for this church in the fellowship that exists in these walls that when your brother or sister, when I do something, say something, fail to do something, fail to say something, whatever it is, when it happens and you are offended, whether you are justly offended or not, the only hope that we have is that you and I will treat one another the way Paul describes us as those who have been made one in Christ where the hostility has been broken. And where I count you the way Jesus counts you in himself. Forgiven, 
justified. And where you interact with me through the cross. Where you deal with me as one who is forgiven, who is justified. We weaken the message of the gospel. We weaken the power of the cross when we only want the benefits for ourselves and don't want to participate in sharing those benefits with one another. That, just so I'm being clear, that is satanic. We make a space for, uh, for the devil when we allow all that to cultivate disunity in the body. We create a space in that where through the ignoring of the anger, through the suppression of the anger, through not dealing with the anger, we allow it to break Christians with, with, with soul-crushing depression. We create a space for the devil when we allow our anger to rot within us. where we become a petri dish for self-destruction. Beloved, the, the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the anger that we experience does not have to be an anger that constrains us nor defines us, but can be an anger that has already found its realization in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ which is the only hope and power that you have for yourself and that we have for one another. So put off the old and put on the new in the depths of what God has already granted you in Christ. A soul sprinkled clean and a new heart in which the Spirit resides and is actively engaging you to walk in a manner worthy of the new identity that you have in Jesus Christ. Beloved, be angry, but don't let the sun, don't let the sun go down on it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so often we... we, we we, we, we go into this mode of existence where, where we kind of go through the motions, where we are caught up in the daily responsibilities and vocations and callings that we have, and, and we go through them, and, and often, Lord, we go through them not consciously cultivating our hearts as those who live before your throne as those who live before your face, as those, as Paul says, who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And as we continue to go through life in this broken world that is under the, the just curse of a righteous God against sin, it is so easy for us, Lord, to, to, to cling to what we see and experience on a daily basis and where we can allow our hearts to be more formed and shaped by the world than by the renewing of our minds. And so, Lord, help us to take your gospel. Help us to take your son, Jesus Christ, going to the cross in order to receive the full 
the fullness, every last drop of your indignation against sin upon himself so that we might be freed from that and be able to drink deeply and in a satisfying way of the eternal waters of grace that ever flow from your heavenly throne. And may we allow this grace, Lord, to sink into us so that we would allow our hearts to be formed and shaped more more purposefully by your gospel, that we would take up the cross in the way that we experience life, that we would take up the cross in the way that we experience the sins of others, that we would take up the cross in the ways that we sin against others, Lord, that the cross would be our only hope and would be the only lens through which we look at you, ourselves, and one another in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the courage to at least try it rather than just give in to what we experience and blame it on others outside of us. Help us to own the teachings and instructions of Jesus that our words are windows to our souls and everything that is experienced within our hearts has come from the heart and not from the outside. And may we, like our glorious Savior, who came in the humility to serve others, even as he rode in on a donkey and looked at those who hated him and who would crucify him later that week, as he looked upon them, he wept. Lord, may the humility of Christ, which is already ours by nature of our union with him, form and shape our interactions as those who do not assume a role that is not ours to assume but take up gladly a participation in the peacemaking ministry of Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.